BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, so many of you remember the Donald Sterling scandal, which ranks among the biggest in NBA history. Sterling, of course, was the longtime owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, who was caught on tape making racially charged comments about African Americans to his longtime mistress, uh, V. Stiviano. TMZ published the tape. Sterling was banned from the NBA for life. The team was eventually sold to Steve Ballmer. There's a lot we know about this story, but there is so much more (laughs) that we didn't know. Much of that was uncovered by Ramona Shelburne, the senior writer at ESPN, who reported and narrated a terrific five-part podcast series called The Sterling Affair, which you can download and listen to on the ESPN app and everywhere you get your podcast. Ramona joins me here in studio. Hi, Ramona. How's it going? I heard you binge this the other day. I did. It was, um, you know, it, in Boston, you get like, you know, maybe like two more weeks of weather when yep. you can sit at the beach. And it's like, I just pulled a chair up and uh, sat there. Like, I was literally the only one on the beach. It was, you know, Monday. So I'm just <laughs> you, sitting there. and You, the podcast, and V. Stiviano. <laughs> yeah, just the... <laughs> did she move to Boston? I don't I don't think she'd make it in no, Boston. I don't she, think the, you know, that she's been one of those fun, loose ends, you know, that you want to track down those characters that you... I hear different stories about where she is, like, and what she's up to. Um, I I stalk her on Instagram. <laughs> I stalk her friends on Instagram. Um, she every once in a while like pop up in an Instagram story, like, and she'll just be like driving around Los Angeles, and, I, and like part of me wants to just go find her, like paparazzi style. That's one of those like as you're as you're uh, reporting this, like people think that I'm like some serious NBA reporter, and most of the time I can be. But mm-hmm. when it's time to get all TMZ paparazzi e, e news station about it, like the I I don't know a different side of me comes out. I can, I have way too much fun with that this paparazzi side. <laughs> I, I did when 
when I was listening to the podcast, uh-huh. I did start scrolling through V. Stiviano's Instagram, yep. and it's just there's just nothing there that I ever want to see again. Like, just I'm, I'm good. I'm but good you know what's interesting about her? She actually, in a lot of ways, like. She's like, I mean, the other day everyone was tweeting about it. Like, I think Christy Teigen was tweeting tweet, tweeting about it. That that famous quote that she has, like, with Barbara Walters, where she goes, "I'm her. I, w- I was his silly rabbit." Like, she's so <laughs> she's so v. But she is such a compelling character because her backstory is that she is from a she was from a poor background in San Antonio. Like Sterling, she went to Roosevelt High School in East L.A. Like Sterling, she changes her name. She also clearly has, a, you know, a desire to be famous and has this like trajectory in her life. Like she worked pretty hard. She was like working at a food truck business. Like she was, you know, doing whatever she could to kind of make it in the world. And I'm not saying that's, you know, becoming Donald Sterling's side piece is something that you should aspire to in life. But (laughs) like she gets herself into this position of power and influence goes way too far with it. But if she doesn't tape him and then if she doesn't leak those tapes, do you think he Donald Sterling still owns the Clippers? I'm not sure he might. I I think he probably would. I mean, if, if that stuff didn't get out, why? I mean, there's no reason not unless the NBA got wise and, and I want to get into all that as well but I think he probably would own still own the Clippers but but let me actually let me start kind of at the very beginning for you because okay. I mean Sterling has been gone for five years off the radar um, but you decide this was the kind of story you wanted to dig into for this podcast series series uh, what made this a story that you felt should be re-examined I pretty much never stopped doing this story like it was 2014 and I knew this was wild and juicy and you know how like sometimes you're in the middle of a story and you're like, this is too good. It's like the whole the whole big picture of it is too good. Um, and I kind of stayed in touch with a lot of the principles just over the years, knowing that I would always do something more, whether it was a book or a movie. At the time, we didn't have like podcasts like this, you know, but, um, you know, it, over the course of a few years um, and just talking to the development execs at ESPN, um, Adam Newhouse was one of them and uh, Libby Geis who runs 30 for 30 films like I just I just kept pitching this to anyone who would listen I was like this story is so good there's so much more to it and it's sweeping Um, and you know you just I don't know we like I cover the NBA day to day and I do long form but like this just felt big and I never wanted to let it go and I still think there's more to do with it. What, why was why the podcast medium for some of this? Because mm-hmm. this could be just have been yeah. a regular thirty for thirty. It could yeah. have been a movie, like you like you it mentioned. Could have been. Why, why um, this medium? Yeah, I, you know it's interesting how it came about because um, it was almost something we could do now. And the thirty for thirties usually like they let it, they let them bake a little bit more. They let like maybe more than five years pass. Like they usually let like maybe ten years pass even before they want to dive in documentary style. Um, and in this case, like. I don't know, the Sterlings are in their 80s. <laughs> a lot of the people involved are pretty old in this. Um, and I was into it. I, I really liked podcasts like Serial. I really liked Slow Burn. Um, I listened to the Bikram one they had done and that Julia Lowry Henderson, who was my producer on this, and she's just, I can't say enough good things about her and what I, how much I learned from her. Um, and so it just felt like a great medium to do this now. And also like, I don't know. People like podcasts now. They just drive around listening, and they're very bingeable if you do them right. Yeah, completely. Um, Shelley Sterling is a significant voice mm-hmm. in this series, and mm-hmm. as I began to kind of listen to it, you know, the memory of this episode oh, yeah. can't be a good one for Shelley Sterling. How did you get her to participate in this? So she's, you know, a lot of the the reaction that you get is is she's like such a central character to the to the soap opera of it, but also to like what actually happens. Cause like, I don't know, we might still be in court if she doesn't sell the team out from under him. Um, Donald would have tied this up in courts like he did the last time the NBA tried to kick him out of the league. Literally they were in litigation for six or seven years. Okay. Um, and he ended up winning. The NBA just fi- finally gave up. So Shelly sells the team out from under him by getting him declared mentally incapacitated. Oh my mm. God. Right. And, <laughs> You know, that, that like you'd think there's no coming back from that in a marriage, <laughs> right? And then he calls her a pig in open court. Like those are generally your things that you don't come back from. And I, I guess I understood why they didn't get divorced because they were business partners and it's really expensive to just divide up the assets. So I thought they would just continue living 
separate lives. But um, I've stayed in touch with her all along because, like, I just knew I would always do something bigger. And I think the reason why she's so interesting is, like, in a way, she was complicit, right? In a way, I mean, she's very complicit in everything they do um, with housing discrimination and in the way that they treat people throughout their business careers and lives. And so you can't exonerate her for that just because she does the right thing at the end here and sells the team from him. I'm just like, you have a heroic moment and you do something that obviously must have been fairly hard for her, which is, you know, getting your husband declared mentally incapacitated and going through all of that very publicly. Um, but... It's, you know, she has this moment of where she does the right thing, but then she kind of over the last five years has reverted back to the marriage, to rationalizing his behavior. And I, I use this term a lot when Julia and I would be talking about the Shelley character. It's like, it's not rational. Like, it's irrational. Um, and I can't explain why she's back with him. I can't explain the how she changed and she breaks. And there's a clean story arc if you if you see how her character goes from being complicit for 60 years to like finally doing the right thing to like, if the story ended there, it'd be a clean, right. It'd be a clean character arc, but it doesn't end there. And she's kind of mm-hmm. back with him. And it's like, I, I, I can't explain it. I mean, can you, you listen to the whole thing? Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like I've always, I've pushed her on it. Like, how do you want to be in the marriage with a guy who, has had m- numerous affairs and they're gross and they're, and she's, she's got an- answers for it. Um, but I think I, I fall back on this line that my mom always told me is like, you don't know what's inside another person's marriage. You just, you never will. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I, I couldn't explain it either. I mean, that yeah. relationship is one of the most bizarre mm-hmm. that I've ever heard of. Even, you know, notwithstanding basketball, like if it wasn't real, yeah. I don't know if I would believe it if it was kind of explained to me because, and, and look, there, there's a part of me that sort of gets that, look, all their money is so intertwined. It would probably be one of the yeah. most ridiculous divorces oh. that we've ever seen if they went forward yep. with it. But it, I mean, it sounds to me, and I know you had an anecdote in there about someone overhearing they're fighting and he yeah. came home early in their marriage smelling like another woman's perfume. Mm-hmm. It sounded like he had been cheating on her like from the day he married her. Like, yeah, I real mean, early it, it on. It doesn't sound like he ever, like I, I don't know how, that's the part of it I can't really so, wrap my head around yeah. why she would stay with him that early on. So here's the here's the only thing I can come up with, okay? And this is, and I think that's what makes a good character, right? Is when it's complicated and it gets you to think about things and there's not like a clean answer to it. Um I really think that when you make compromises in your life or in your marriage, it you do it once and it feels like a big deal. And then you do it again and again and again. And it's like you end up so far away from yourself and anything that you ever would have thought was right or moral or just, but you don't know how to find your way back. And I think she just likes the life. I mean, she likes being Mrs. Serling and she feels... A little like her, the players do when the tapes come out, which is like, you know what? I'm just as much a part of this business that we've built, this life that we've built. Why should his indiscretions, why should his racism, bad behavior, et cetera, like undo this whole life that I've built? Like she has figured out a way to make herself happy, to stay happy, to exist within this like very odd marriage and relationship and sort of prefers it to the alternative of being divorced. Like being divorced is a venture into the unknown, is a venture into weird territory that would like cost her a lot of money, that would cost her the status, the the life she has. And like, I think they've gotten together and broken up and been mad at each other like many, many times over the years. And this was just the latest example. Um, you know, it's hard to know how to paint her, right? Like, like, where do you come down on it? I think she's almost like an inkblot test. Like, there's there's people who are very angry that she comes off as, you know, as, with a heroic arc in certain ways. Like, she does because she has this moment where she does something very hard and it's very cold-blooded. And it's very, like, wow, I can't believe she executed that plan and pulled it all off uh, without him figuring it out. Like, she outmaneuvers the her own husband in the most painful public way. But it helps the league it helps everybody and it gives her like this moment to take some bows outside the courthouse and yet it doesn't expunge the record i mean she's still complicit in everything they had done for 60 years and so i i don't know i think you just put it all out there and leave it and let it sit there and let people draw their own conclusions 
Did you get any sense of, of what you thought her motivations mm-hmm. would be to be involved in, in this project? Yeah. Was she trying to put a different spin on it? Did she want to kind of... Because it, it seems like a thing. It's it's a tough thing to kind of revisit if you're yeah. Shirley Sterling. So, um, you, I mean, you do this for a living too, right? So we, you know, that you have to talk people into doing interviews. Like you, sure. you have, you know, my general line is: don't you want to tell your own story rather than let history tell it for you? Um, I generally had been one of the reporters that she was closest to. In the, you know, it, it helps that I'm a woman. Like I listen to her story. I'm a I'm a sympathetic ear to her, right? Like, because I'm a woman and I'm married and I, I kind of, I know how to relate more so than like a, you know, just some random dude, right? Um, but I would, I, I think the reason, she didn't have an agenda. It was mostly a continuance of a relationship I had, um, I had kept going ever since 2014 because there was continuing interest in the story. Like I did a one year later story. Um, I did... Uh, we were going to do a five years later story, but it just turned into this podcast. Like we all just stayed in touch. And I think she understood like if people were going to write about it, if people were going to do the story, like she, she had a choice. She could just ignore it altogether or she could participate and talk to somebody who she felt like at least might listen. But I'll go even a little further um, with this answer. I don't think she had an agenda. I think she's still kind of looking for answers and trying to understand the man she married and the life she's lived. And that's why like when you get to episode five and she's listening to the tapes and still driving around in her car and like admitting that she still listens to them. I mean, wow. Like she's still trying to understand what it is that she's done, who it is she's been with this marriage she's in. Like I, I think talking to me probably is a little like how she works through it. How she, somebody who sees it, from the outside, but also is willing to listen and not be judgmental. I mean, because that's kind of our role as, as, as writers and as, and in this case, the podcast hosts. It's like we're just here to we're here to listen. Yeah, it's it's wild that that she's still trying to kind of understand it to this day, mm-hmm. even five years after and sixty plus years uh, of marriage. The, the the there's so many things that you kind of dug deep into, and one of the the really interesting parts was the relationship between Donald Sterling and Jerry Buss, the mm. early years, the, mm-hmm. the money that Donald Sterling loaned. it, it I, I don't think I really knew just how intertwined those two were. Like, if there was no Jerry Buss in yeah. the NBA, is it fair to say there probably would be no Donald Sterling? Yeah, I mean, Donald Sterling gives Jerry Buss the last $3.5 million he needs at the last second when another investor falls through as he's buying the Lakers. So if Donald Sterling doesn't come through for him, if they don't get that last bit of financing... Jerry may not own the Lakers. He may not be able to close on that sale. It was literally the last day they had to close. And he comes through. He Instead of getting a, um, a small equity stake in the Lakers, like he could have probably been a, an investor, a minority owner, a small, small piece of the ownership team because they had a lot, of, a lot of investors. Donald says, no, nah, you know what? I'll take some of those apartment buildings that you have in Santa Monica. <laughs> Pretty good trade. Um, probably worth a lot more than whatever that piece of the Lakers would have been. It's like prime real estate on the west side of LA. But it also gave him entree into a world that, you know, was everything he was ever looking for, right? So he's there at the Forum Club, which is like Studio 54 on the West Coast. It, probably even cooler in a way because it's basketball and showtime and the Lakers are winning and everybody and all the A-list celebrities are there. So Donald was one of the frequent guests of Jerry Buss uh, that first year. And he says to his publicist, um, you know, I want you to do for me what you've done for Jerry. And uh, Bob Steiner, the publicist, says, I can't do that because I mean, you'd have to buy the Lakers. Well, two years later, he buys the San Diego Clippers, and Jerry was one of the ones who vouches for him. <laughs> That's that, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, Jerry. I mean, without Jerry's without Jerry's vouch, I mean, does he even get that opportunity? To he buy might. You know what? And the here's the, here's the reason. And, and this is you being a Boston guy, you, you'll you'll love this part. I don't know if you know the the Celtics of it all, right? Do you know about the? Yeah, uh, yeah I know a little bit of the backstory there. Yeah. yeah. So the so the player so the, t- the franchise swap so the previous owner is Irv Levin and Irv had swapped he was the Buffalo Braves and like can you you probably know this version of the story better than I do he like sort of swaps ownership rights with the Celtics owners is that right yeah I think that yeah that that's the way I that's the way I've heard that story mm. yeah there was a swap in ownership rights yeah. there and- so 
when Sterling buys the San Diego Clippers from Irv Levin, he assumes all of Irv Levin's debts, debts and obligations. A lot of those debts are to former Celtics greats like John Havlicek, like their pensions. Okay, so Sterling gets the team. I have no idea how much money he actually put up. We the reported purchase price is like twelve and a half million dollars. Many people who are very close to that transaction said, "I don't think he put up any of it. He just took on twelve and a half million dollars of debt. Like he might have just bought the mm-hmm. team for almost nothing. Like just said, I'll pay the debts. But then of course he doesn't pay these players. He doesn't pay the pensions. And like guys like John Havlicek are like used to getting a a pension check, and he doesn't. And Sterling stopped paying them. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, like you know, basically foreshadowed his yeah. future with that oh, in the yeah. NBA, with with not paying anybody but, ever, but coaches, like, yeah, you know, anybody. Players, it... I mean, you literally had to go in with your eyes wide open. Like he, you know, if you were a coach and you took that Clipper job, <laughs> good luck if you ever get fired. Just get as much as you can up front, guaranteed money, because you're gonna be in court for a long time if he ever fires you, trying to get the rest of it. Um, and I think like that was the NBA knew pretty quickly. Um, that Sterling was had no business being an owner was not a great was not a great um, at managing the money had, didn't understand how to treat players didn't understand any of the workings of the NBA and didn't really care to either he didn't spend time like rolling up sleeves saying okay now let me see how this is this works and be try to be successful in that um, but the league was such a different league back then like he was financially stable he wasn't gonna go bankrupt or anything. Um, they felt like they didn't have a lot of options. It's not like people are lining up to buy NBA franchises back then. They were, you know, they they were they in a way they were almost lucky to have somebody who was as financially stable as Sterling was, and they worked with him. They, I mean, they tried to get him out, but then they sent an Allen Rothenberg. David Stern sends an Allen Rothenberg. This is actually we're we're going over tape that didn't make the cutting room floor. So there's a mm. there's a there's a, there's a great tape from Allen Rothenberg, who was the the guy the lawyer that they had sent in to babysit Donald and make him pay the players and buy you know make sure they they clean the uniforms after practice and just like did the bare minimum of of ownership. Um, and Alan Rothenberg was sort of appointed by David Stern, who was then a deputy commissioner, to do this. And I guess when Stern retired, Alan Rothenberg went to his re- retirement party. <laughs> and Alan has this funny piece of tape where he goes, yeah, I showed up at David's retirement party. And he's like, who invited you? <laughs> you were the cause of like <laughs> some of my biggest headaches. Right. I mean, it was, you know, they like Alan. Alan worked for Sterling for a number of years and he is one of the, ma- he and Arn Tellum, amazing how those names come around. Arn Tellum worked for the Clippers yeah. for a lot of years. Um, then he becomes a super agent. Now he's with the Pistons, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. they worked for him when they moved the t- franchise from San Diego to LA. And they were one of the ones who said to Donald, hey, Al Davis just won this court in the Ninth Circuit, just won this ability to move the Raiders. Now's your time. We just won in court. The, the NBA will not fight you because the, literally Al Davis had just won that antitrust lawsuit and it would break the league if you if you took him to court for the same things. So he just went up. Yeah. He just up and moved. Did, did he, you know, nowadays you have owners kind of reinvesting in their teams, building mm-hmm. practice facilities, yeah. doing everything they can, almost college-like yeah. to make their, their team more appealing. Did he just not see the value in you know, making your franchise more appealing. I mean, you had a, a section of there where he kind of talked about where I'm just, I'm making my money. I'm, I'm doing all this. Why do I need to do X, Y, and Z? Did he just not see the value? Yeah. In, it was a straight in, business in transaction. It? Yeah. It was just business for him. Like he looked at it, like he looked like apartment buildings. You buy the building for as low, for as good a price as you can. You put a new coat of paint on, you put some new carpet down, you rebrand it, call it ultra luxurious, call it sterling now. And then jack up the rents. I mean, that was like, that's how he made his money. And then you hold on to it. It'll appreciate in value because of the location. They're mostly in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills area. And you claim the depreciation on your taxes. It's a great business model. It's why the guy's one of the largest residential landlords in L.A. County. He's a billionaire many times over because before he ever, you know, ever sold the Clippers, um, just in how much real estate he owns. But you don't run a franchise like that. Like, the franchise, you know, he. I don't think he ever understood brand value, like the idea that winning actually helps your brand. Um, that when you have like the uh, a franchise that for many of his years was like the worst franchise in all of sports, like that makes players not want to go there because, you know, financially he was disincentivized to do anything about it. Like he got 
straight check from the league in revenue sharing every year. He got he got a broadcast deal. Like he didn't have to spend money to make money there. And he wasn't incentivized to do so. It was really just how much shame he could take by being such a bad owner. And it seemed like he could take a lot of shame. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Trump aspect of it all is, is mm-hmm. fascinating, too, you know, from the you know, the West Coast Trump from that magazine oh, yeah. that he was on. And Trump Trump was the same way or is the same way. It You know, no press is bad press. You know, there's, there's, yep. th- that's the one common link it seems they both have, that they could absorb anything as long as their name is being talked about. Well, there's, there's incredible similarities between Donald Trump and Donald Sterling. However, there is a couple of very big differences. Number one, Donald Trump is fantastic once that attention already comes, right? He's great in front of the cameras, great in the limelight, knows how to... He had a whole television show. He's president and he knows what to do. He's comfortable in front of a camera. Sterling was awful. Like whenever he would do interviews when he was in front of a camera, like he he didn't soak it up. He didn't like light up in front of the cameras. Like he, he wanted the validation of celebrity, but then wanted none of the accountability that comes along with it and wanted none of... Um, he didn't know what to do once he got there. And if anything, after a few of those stories kind of blew up in his face, he just retreated from view. He just stopped doing interviews. He just let Mark Heisler lampoon him in the LA Times all the time with those great <laughs> Dear Donald letters that we all love. Um, <laughs> I remember. Like, he he just didn't know how to speak for himself or do any of that or represent himself. Um which sort of speaks to how isolated he got and why he got so isolated by the end of his career as owner there. Um, And then the other biggest difference is that Donald Sterling is fabulously wealthy. Like he's never been bankrupt. Like he has all that money. Like he he has more money than any of the people we're talking about. Right. Like any of the other, I mean, you know, you thought you would have thought Jerry Buss was the, like the rich one, but it's really Donald Sterling. He just didn't act like it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 
You know, one of the, the, the players in all this that, you know, I'm assuming didn't want to be involved at all in all this was Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Donald Sterling's fixation on Magic Johnson. Why was Magic Johnson such a trigger for Donald Sterling? I mean, I really think it's because he's so closely associated with Jerry Buss and the Lakers. And like for 30 years, he owns the team that is the opposite of Showtime. It's like not Showtime. We have a whole episode on this and the jealousy and insecurity that the Lakers created for that the Lakers created for Donald Sterling and the Clippers. And like, you know, people wanted to be around Jerry Buss. They wanted to come to his parties. They wanted to hang out with him. Celebrity. They didn't have to like induce players to go over to his parties and have to induce women to come to his events like he was like it was legit like the respect he had the clout he had around town the celebrity he had around town people it it came naturally whereas donald sterling thought he could buy it thought he could force that upon people and then had no self-consciousness to even realize that he was what he was doing and magic johnson like was actually really close to Jerry Buss. Like they looked at each other like father and son and that relationship and validation. He was like a true star and Jerry Buss like recognized it, knew how to treat him. And like, it must've just been awful for Donald to have that rubbed in his face for decades and, and to feel like that. And so when magic is in the, that picture, you know, the picture with V Stiviano, that's the Instagram photo that set him off like on the tapes. It's not just, black people it's magic johnson in that photo okay and then on anderson cooper when he melts down it's when he starts talking about magic johnson and i really think it's the laker connection of it all and also really um this idea that donald had of like ownership over players ownership over stars like there was a a fundamental lack of understanding that you know where he says who makes the game i make the game i give them food i give them jobs i i mean like he really thought that he did all that and he could never recognize that, no, it's actually the players. It's actually the stars that make the league. And Magic, to me, is the biggest star in L.A. and probably still is. Um, Kobe would give him a run for his money. Maybe if you're over 30, you'd say Magic. If you're under 30, you'd say Kobe. But but the the Lakers are just as much. The Lakers are because of Magic Johnson because of Kobe Bryant, because of Kareem, because of their stars. Um, I think the stars transcend the brand, and I don't think Donald ever has the capacity to get that. Magic just kept getting dragged back oh. in and back into it from the in, you know the, the tapes. Yeah. To, and I, don't, I want to get to that Cooper interview, but that was just bonkers. I, I, I thank you for reminding me. I went back and watched that. That was just insane, Whew. like that that interview. Yep. Uh, but, but before I get to that, the, you know, it, when that story first broke, Adam Silver got a lot of praise for how quickly mm-hmm. he handled it. I was at his press conference in New York. You know, it, mm. it seemed like mm-hmm. he was acting swiftly and decisively. But, I mean, the reality is, like, the NBA kind of owns this. Like, they own Donald Sterling because, I mean, you knew this yeah. better than I did, but I got it from, it, whenever I talk to people in New York about Sterling and his, you know, wackiness, for lack of a better word, like they knew everything and they were just kind of hoping that he'd either die or sell the team on his own. Like they knew everything that he was and they let it continue until it reached this point. I mean, they are not, Ramona, a sympathetic figure in the story at all. No, they let him go unchecked for 30 years. I mean, they tried to check him initially um, and it didn't go well. Right? They ended up in court for six or seven years and they lost that and wasted a lot of capital and money on fighting him. And I think there was a a reluctance to try again because he would probably win. Like they didn't have the smoking gun or the grounds to do it. But I would say this, they didn't try either. And, you know, if you decide this guy should not be in your league, if you knew the housing discrimination and all these horror stories of players talking about how he would heckle them, um, from courtside seats, how he would ogle them in locker rooms, make everybody uncomfortable. Just the way he ran that franchise. Like, I mean, how many coaches need to sue him in order to get paid for the league to do something about it, right? Like Mike Dunleavy finally was able to go to court and 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 hang in there long enough to actually win a judgment. I remember covering that case and he 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 won. And all the other coaches that Sterling had done that to just couldn't they needed the money. Like they didn't have the mm. like stomach for that long protracted legal fight. And Sterling counted on that. It was like his way of doing business. And so all of the 
I mean, Dunleavy finally won. I think it was a twelve and a half million dollar judgment against him, and I and I just kind of like understood. Like Sterling gets away with it because he fights every battle in court, and most people don't have the stomach for it. And I don't think the league ever did. Yeah, for for all the flaws that Mike Dunleavy has, like yeah. him kicking Donald Sterling's ass was like his his best win because he could. He did have the resources to hang in there and get what he was was owed in that particular situation. Um. It, even after the tapes came out and the NBA acted, and you, you touched on this, and I think it was the second to last one or the last one, but um, it, there was still a chance that Donald Sterling could could hang in there. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you had the comments yeah. from Mark Cuban where he said, you know, it's a slippery slope to step on by taking away uh, a team like that. And then comes the just batshit crazy Anderson Cooper interview, which which portrays Donald in an even worse light if that was even possible. What what impact did that interview have on the ultimate expulsion and, and sale of the team uh, on Donald Sterling? I mean, that was the final straw. Like, you know, the tapes come out. We don't hear anything really from Donald except that weird statement that they initially put out where they were like, oh, she's a gold digger and she's, we're suing her, so that's why she leaked this. These are doctors, not him, you know. And, you know, poor Andy Rosie, they stuck his name on it, even though it was really Donald talking, (laughs) you know. Um, And that's pretty much all we heard from him for like two weeks. It was like, where are you, bro? Like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing, bud? Like, it's like taking way too long for you to like answer for yourself, have a reaction, put any kind of explanation out there. So finally, he does this Anderson Cooper interview. And I think that like, because he... um, took so long like that was the only reason he still had a chance that people were like coming up with a few excuses or a few lines of credibility that he could have stood on like the the right to privacy argument the slippery slope argument the this is his private property and we set a precedent for you shouldn't set a precedent for having to take somebody's private property like there were people coming up with these things because I think a lot of owners know that they don't live in glass houses and there may be things that they don't ever want coming out or could take them down as well maybe not as bad as this but like if you set this precedent um and so people there was like a few people who were willing to listen and if anything people just want to hear what he had to say and then like he goes on Anderson Cooper and just completely melts down and makes it so much worse (laughs) he like just continued this like bizarre attack on magic he says all this awful things I, I remember I was I was in New York when that interview came out I was here um I went to uh cover the Nets heat series because lebron and the guys on the heat had been such a huge voice in this they had stepped in front of the microphones and just condemned sterling and they were such a big part of the player player empowerment era that i was like you know what i don't know where to go but i know that the action is going to be in new york it's going to be with whatever the heat keeps saying because it's the player side of it and then whatever the league decides to do about selling the team and so i was out here and i remember i think i was I think I saw Adam Silver that night. I think I saw some of the guys from the league that night because they they visited that playoff game, um, and we all were like watching the watching that Anderson Cooper interview. Like, whoa! Did you see that? <laughs> it it, I mean, it just kind of like speaks to to. I mean, he's he's saying like Magic Johnson. What has Magic done for the black community? Like, because he still thinks, or he thought in that moment that him paying players like he's supposed to do is him like doing something for that community. He's making money off them. Whereas mm. Magic starting a foundation is actually doing something for so, people in in his community. No. Just, I mean, Donald just got all these fake awards. Like he would just donate some money to the NAACP and they'd give him some award. Remember that like that really awkward <laughs> oh, scene yeah. where he, he was going to be like honored as man of the year like right during this crisis. It was like, okay. <laughs> like, you guys do your research? <laughs> like, I mean, how big was that check? You know, I mean, there's this whole story of this like shelter for the homeless that he he promised to build and like he took out ads in the in the la times like talking about how he was going to build this you know the center for the homeless like never did like he just talked about this and said he was gonna do it and got like positive press for it and then actually never wrote a check i mean there's like you know this 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 idea that you can just completely fake news your way into like prominence and into respect around town it's like pretty shameless right like i love that story that we have in the podcast from sandy banks who was a columnist at the la times who had like seen these silly ads for all these years in her paper alongside news stories about 
housing discrimination lawsuits against Donald Sterling. I mean, I'm like, what's going on here? And like, I mean, we're, you know, we're all supposed to be church and state, you know, like let the advertising folks do what they do and let the editorial folks do what they do. But like from an editorial standpoint, like she had an issue and she was right about it. So she went to one of those like bizarre charity events that he did. And she said it was like, <laughs> just like this nuts Donald Sterling show. Like, I mean, and poor Blake Griffin went to it with him and he was just parading him around and showing him off like a prized racehorse. And, you know, and like Blake in a lot of ways is, is a big character in this story because Donald finally had his Magic Johnson. Like he had this star that he drafted first overall that that had the charisma and clout and star quality that, you know, Donald could have paraded Donald could have formed a real relationship with the way that Sterling did with sorry, the way that Jerry busted with Magic Johnson. And like instead of having like a normal relationship, like he just made Blake cringe at every turn. And you know, I, I was really grateful Blake was, you know, up for doing this podcast because I, I knew his experience was was that of a lot of Clipper players, which was like they were just put into like awful, uncomfortable situations all the time without this feeling like they could say anything about it because yeah, he was the, the owner. The, the party, the party yeah. that Blake was at, where oh. he just he just pointed to when he yeah. stands up, just has to say something there. That was just cringeworthy mm-hmm. as you, you kind of listen to it there. Um, at, at the... At the very end with, with Shelly and how she mm-hmm. maneuvered everything to, you know, not only get, you know, the $2 billion from Steve Ballmer, but also, you know, working with the NBA to indemnify the NBA. So effectively, Sterling, if he sued them, be suing, him, uh, suing himself. Mm-hmm. Was, was she just smarter than anyone really gave her credit for? Or did she have a lot of help, like whether it was from lawyers or whoever else was kind of guiding her throughout that process? I think both. I think the answer is both. Um, she is a lot more cunning and a lot smarter. She just comes across as this like very grandmotherly lady with a Chanel bag. Like you don't take her as ser- she doesn't come across like your typical shark, but I think she's just as much of a shark as Donald is um, in terms of business and in terms of like doing what you need to do to get the job done, to make the best deal. She also had some really good lawyers. Um, and I think they figured out the right plays and I think they pushed the right buttons and they really out, you know, having covered it in real time, like they kicked Donald's ass, <laughs> like literally yeah. like, like they just kicked everybody's ass cause they were so ahead of the game in terms of, um, just the maneuvers, right? Like they injected them themselves, themselves into the situation when the NBA didn't really want to even talk to them at first, but they found a way to get them to take them seriously. They, got Donald to consent to two interviews with psychologists like in broad daylight and both of them like declared you know like did a did a um an evaluation of him like he knew what was happening how did she get him to do that I, I don't know I mean uh, you know he he's smart enough he should have realized it because they had just had their trust changed earlier that uh, in December of 2013 they just had their trust amended um to add that language to it so like he should have known but like he kind of lost a step like he wasn't as sharp as he was he didn't know the rules of the game he um i think the isolation and the bubble that he had found himself into where he was just surrounded by like sycophants and mistresses and just people who like didn't like were really only around him for like whatever fringe benefits they would get by being close to a rich guy um you know, at some point that distorts your view of the world. Like if you're just around people who are kissing your butt all the time and telling you how great you are and listening to all your stories and instead of cringing, acting like you're cool. Like if you're just around all the time, you kind of lose touch. And I think that's what happened with Donald. Mm-hmm. What, what is the relationship like between Shelly and Donald now? It's like nothing ever happened. It's incredible. I mean, that's the, and I've seen this play out over the last five years. Um, So it didn't happen all at once. Like it took her a while to take her back, take him back. But I really think that this has happened many, many times over the course of their marriage. And this is just the most high profile version of the breakup and make amendments. And I think at this stage, they're like business partners, their husband and wife, they love each other. They break up. They live apart for a while. They find their way back together. It's like they're stuck in this very strange codependent relationship where like she's, you know, she has value in her sort of undying love to him. 
And I think he knows that. I think she know. I think he knows that of all the people, of all the women, like Shelly really has his, Shelly really loves him. And those, uh, the other women that he, that he's with, the mistresses or whatever it is, like those kind of come and go. But. Uh, did you get a sense of what his kind of day-to-day life is now? Yeah, I think he hangs out at his house in Beverly Hills all the time. He's got a few, you know, got people around i don't know like i don't even know how to describe the people he has around him but people who he hangs out with um he doesn't go out as much but you do see him around town if you if you walk in that that little area of beverly hills where spago is and you know over by the montage like you'll see him out at restaurants and i've seen them together at restaurants like he's still out and about maybe not the same way he was in his heyday where he was always at a cabana at the beverly hills hotel or doing long lunches at the polo lounge but he's He's still just a man about town and he's got enough he's got enough um business guys in LA or people in LA who will hang out and act like nothing happened. Well, as you know, I'm I'm big at Spago and, and the montage. I so bet I'll have to check it out. A lot of NBA teams stay there, so you might bump into Donald Zerling next time you do an interview <laughs> over there. Maybe Barney's Beaner. If he ever ch- hangs mm-hmm. out down there, I'll uh, I'll catch him. Uh the last thing I want to ask you is you know, for a podcast you need as many on the record voices yeah. as you can get, you know, to to speak on this stuff. How how challenging was it? to get people to kind of, you know, wade back into what was a really toxic situation. Yeah, really challenging. No one wants to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I had to twist a lot of arms. Like, literally, I mean, the people who want to talk about it are, the, like, the lawyers and the people who are close to it who are not in the limelight day-to-day. But, like, in the NBA, even people who, like, hated Sterling and would love to dish and tell, you know, and confess all the... all, all Not confess, but who would want to, like, expose all of these things and, like, have some you know ptsd for having run into him okay um a lot of people just don't want to revisit it it was like this ugly chapter in the nba that people are happy is over and so like the clippers didn't want to do this they didn't participate the only person from the modern day clippers that agreed to do this was doc and i think it's because doc recognizes that the role this played in the modern nba but also the legacy it sets i think doc's really um doc really has a sense of history and he says, you know, throughout this, he says, you know, there was a reckoning here, but we it's going to keep happening and it's just going to change. It's going to be a different reckoning. But like the way, you know, I think he's really proud of the way that his team comported themselves throughout this and the, the legacy they set. Um, when he talked about Jesse Owens in 1936, like he, he really meant it. You know, he really, you know, he, he you know, that you, you compete running in front of Hitler like that. That was a big, that was a big image for him and 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 legacy for him that he wanted to uphold and i think um he's really proud of of how he and the team got through that and the legacy this set so he agreed to do it um but most of the current anybody who's like there's not that many holdovers anyway right and then there's a there's people who are in and around the clippers who have, you know i think you can assume i asked everybody or spoke to people off the record but a lot of people just don't want to be associated with him like oof. Uh. I don't want any Donald Sterling stink on me. We got rid of him. Let's let's move on. If there was someone's voice that you would have loved to have in it, you know, besides Donald Sterling, uh, who would it have been? Um, maybe Elgin, Elgin Baylor. Yeah, that was one that I I really wanted. Um, he said no a couple of times. We went back to him a few times. I don't know. Um, without saying too much, um, I don't know how up for it he was right now, and I don't know if it was just about the yeah. the. Uh, like you know wanting to talk about donald he obviously took him to court and lost but um donald knows a lot donald i mean mean, you know elgin knows a lot about donald and i think he has a lot to say and i'd be i think i i sort of like as a journalist that's one of the things that i i wish we had more space like at the time i wish we would have taken his lawsuit more seriously and we wish we would have talked to him more um over the years because he really got the worst of it Mm mm-hmm I would have loved to have heard Stern in all this. Just yeah, because Stern's yeah, such a, that's another he's one. He's such a combative guy. Trust like me, that, I tried. I asked know, three or four times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he's he's the guy who's got to answer for a lot of it, right? And there's not there's yeah. surprisingly little tape of him ever answering questions. Like, I kept thinking, like, at the State of the Union press conference they do every year, people would ask him, like, nobody brought it up. Like, even the years of the housing discrimination, it's not like it came up in that press conference where you can find the archival sound. Um, and I made the ask, couple different ways to david stern he had he had a lot of chances to do this but he chose not to so i was i was surprised by that because um you know he's usually he's usually the type who would who would have a lot to say 
that and not necessarily mm-hmm. just doing damage control or re- image rehab or anything like that. I think he would I think he would have a really a fresh perspective on Sterling. And maybe he will. Maybe now that this is out and you know, he hears it and listens to it, he'd, he'll want to talk. Because you, you find a lot of people come out of the woodwork afterwards like, you know what, I didn't know you were doing it like this. No, I really do want to talk, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've had a few I bet there's one. Sense. I bet there's one piece of audio that you wish was out there so you wouldn't have to read the oh, transcripts. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I, you I, like that part? There's one word, Ramona, I never want to ever hear you say again. There's People can listen to it. I think it's episode three. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't, don't ever want to hear that word yep. ever again. It's a four-letter don't. word. <laughs> It is not a bad one, but in the context, oh, it's not something you want to hear said repeatedly. Look, it was like method acting, man. I just had to just get into character <laughs> and just do it. And we we went through that a few times. Me reading Donald Sterling's deposition about his <laughs> sexual life with one of his mistresses. Yep, I went there. Had to. Okay, oh, but just, it does pay off in one of the all-time great lines. It really does. It, it does. I encourage does. people to give the, that listen. Give. If you want to hear Momo talking dirty to you? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's the sterling affairs you can download it on the espn app you can download it on itunes everywhere you download podcasts ramona shelburne reported narrated the whole thing it is terrific uh ramona thanks for coming in and, and thanks for making august interesting it's us- right usually good time to dead. drop this right give you a little beach beach listening <laughs> absolutely thanks for joining me ramona. thanks chris Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 